Captain's Log, Stardate 755-38.1. Sitting in my office, I somehow didn't expect the station to be as busy as it has been lately. Lieutenant Commanders Eric and David have informed me of representatives from the Trill Symbiosis Commission arriving despite their unscheduled visit. This episode of These Are the Voyages is dedicated to the lives we live. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of These Are the Voyages. I'm the captain, Captain Chase McKinney, and joining me for another book discussion, we have good old Com- Lieutenant Commander? Are you getting a promotion? Lieutenant Commander David uh, for, for this little discussion, and uh, a special uh, guest uh, for, for our book book discussion, Lieutenant Commander Eric, man. like This is, like I think, your first book book discussion that you're joining us in on. Is that a joke? One before, haven't you? Is is that a joke, or are you like you're running the gag of you forgetting the book? Hmm. <laughs> what what book? <laughs> <laughs> we don't yeah, speak of that book. book. <laughs> it, I mean, it wasn't that terrible. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I mean, it's better than Ethan Frome. God, that is terrible, Ethan Frome. Mm. Why did we have to read that in high school? It's American literature, apparently. Yeah, but just because it's written by Edith Wharton doesn't mean it's worth reading. <laughs> David, have, did you ever read Ethan Frome in high school? Just out of curiosity? No. <laughs> so you have no idea what we're talking about. Be nope, glad no you idea. didn't, because it is <laughs> terrible. Oh, but Eric, it has a certain uh, Qui-Gon Jinn in it. In the movie adaptation, at least. Really? There's a movie adaptation of you Ethan didn't Frome? you didn't watch it? No. Your American <laughs> Lit class didn't make you Thank watch you. it. No, I had Miss Hall. Thank okay. you. Okay. Didn't read it. Oh I, my god. I had a. Uh, I had. Or Mrs. we didn't watch that. I had Mrs. Butsu, and yeah, we watched it whenever we finished. Uh, finished the book. Yeah, we had a uh, oh. Liam Neeson playing Ethan Frome, man. Liam Neeson, Patricia Arquette, Joan Allen, and Tate Donovan. There you go. See? Directed by directed by John Madden. Yeah, man. A football coach? <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> R.I.P. John Who, who's John Madden, the movie director? I've never heard of him. Maybe it's the same guy. Maybe it's oh, the John same. Madden. John Madden. Here we go. Is known for directing mm. the Oscar winning best picture, Shakespeare in Love. There you go. There you go. Coming fall 2022. <laughs> Shakespeare on screen, everyone. Er- Eric's a little, uh, I don't know, a little gun shy on that one. That's not it. Okay. Well, now that we know that there's an Ethan Frome movie, let's get down to the real business. How are you gents doing? Uh, pretty good. I'll I'm go ahead and jump good. in there. It's fine, yeah. Eric. I'll take this one. I'll take this okay. one for now. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, pretty good. I think I've talked to you now, what, uh, almost three days in a row, three out of the past four days? Almost. You had to take a break from me there for a second. So that was that was I, probably a good thing. 
I know I had to stop and get some wood-fired pizza from like the smallest restaurant I've ever seen mm. in the weirdest part of Columbus that is just surrounded by houses. Mm. So that was fun. Brisket pizza. Ooh, that, yeah. that sounds delicious. That's two weekends in a row for you having having some brisket, man. <laughs> yeah, your your brisket was better than, than the pizza Aww, brisket. Shucks. I mean, the pizza brisket was fine, but, you know, wasn't out of like a big old fancy smoker that, you know, the 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 wind played old Harry with so God Almighty that was that <laughs> ugh ugh all right enough of that yeah that that was uh <clears throat> yeah that's that's haunting my dreams apparently is the, the hey man it came out it came it out did. just fine it's all good yeah we we ate the last of it this weekend <laughs> and um, you know I we we bought um the the different in fact David was with me. Uh, we bought like three different barbecue sauces for the people that need to smother a perfectly good brisket in barbecue sauce. Apparently, <sighs> didn't get. You're not. You're, not, much, you're not even. You're not even tasting the meat the way <laughs> the person who cooked it wants you to. If you just <laughs> slather it with all different kinds of sauces, it's like when you eat a chili which has beans in it. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, it <laughs> doesn't. You just, it, you just immediately go and load it up with cheese and sour cream and all that extra stuff, right? You got to at least eat some of it without that so you know what the cook intended it to taste like. Do you, though? You do. You should. It's polite. Okay, fine. <laughs> so, anyway, um, back to the, the barbecue sauce in question. Um I, I was like, I wonder if like people would like this. It was like a, I think like a sweet and spicy or something like that. And then there was like a, was it like a honey chipotle or something like that? Yeah. That we bought, and I tried, I tried them. Like the honey chipotle, it wasn't that bad. Like I, I didn't like put actually put it on the meat or anything like that. But I like, I got like a little spoon, like just sampled it, and then I tried the um, the sweet and spicy or whatever it was. That's actually pretty good, and I was thinking like. I wonder if I like mix some of these and like kind of heated them up and like doctored it like what it would actually be. So I'll probably do that like the next time for something that's not brisket and uh, and try it. But yeah, I had a little bit of sweet and spicy barbecue sauce with a little brisket sandwich and man, that's good stuff. Slightly toasted the bread. Mm, come on, somebody. Slightly toasted. Slightly toasted. Not toasted. Slightly toasted. Slightly. And I finally uh, tried your uh, hot sauce you sent me. Hey. Hey, there we go. Yeah, it's, in, in fact, we ate there today. <laughs> so for anyone uh, that doesn't know, David does these different, like, um, like backpacker-type review things, essentially. Um, and among them, from time to time, are, like, hot sauce taste tests. So, yeah, I... Um, I'd watch your stuff, you know, like your different reviews. I'm like, I wonder what he would think of this stuff. And like, usually you have like these tiny little bottles or whatever. And like the one that I got you was like a Schlotzky's yeah, hot sauce the monster. Yeah. And it's like the size of the empire state building for crying out loud. I'm also pretty sure that I mispronounced it in the video too, awesome. because I know you said it once, but I didn't retain it. So. Yep. Schlotzky's. Yep. Oh, Schlotzky's, yeah. Yeah, Schlotzky's. Everyone knows Schlotzky's. Everyone knows Schlotzky's. Schlotzky's Deli. Except Good. me. Mm. I don't know it. I don't know it at all. Yeah, huh. it's fine. 
it's fine. The first time, okay, so this is the crazy thing. The first time I ever had Schlotzky's, we're going, we're going there, guys. The very first time I ever had Schlotzky's was in the uh, late 90s. My, uh, my best friend growing up, they had just moved to this town called Flower Mound, and near it was this Schlotzky's thing. I thought it was like this like high-class eatery type of thing because like there weren't any in Fort Worth or whatever. And um, Flower Mound is like pretty bougie from time to time. So we go there, and they're like, yeah, the pizza's so good. I'm like, all right, well, I'm like 10. Let's do some pizza. And oh my gosh, this was like some of the best pizza I had ever had up to that point. And um, maybe that's a bad thing. I don't know. But very good pizza. And that's all I ever associated with Schlotzky's for like the longest time until I had their bacon something sandwich, which is really good. Bacon with anything is good, by the way. Yeah, like, I don't like bacon on a donut. That, to me, that's not right. It's sweet and salty, man. It's not. It's not right. <laughs> it, it's not right, man. You can put bacon on anything else, but don't put it on a donut. <laughs> yeah. So the next time y'all come to town, I'm getting y'all a dozen donuts, all with bacon crumbles on it. Yeah, David and I had this conversation. We had this last conversation. Week. <laughs> Was this in the car or something when when David took a little nap? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Got yeah. whiplash. <laughs> took pictures. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> yep. Oh Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Well, cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so I I on Friday I went to uh, a music show. A it was a. Uh, my first ever classical music show I'd ever been to. It was a pictures at an exhibition, which is a Russian piano suite. That was really cool, right? Very cool. Very cool. First ever classical music performance I'd ever been to. You are not uncultured swine, man. I'm not, no. The first ever? Yeah. Right? Like a professional one, right? Okay. Uh, okay. But like you, you've been to others, right? Like you have you seen an orchestra perform before yesterday? No. Like I, well, maybe I think there was an orchestra at the opera that I went to, right? Okay. But never just an orchestra before. Okay, so the next time we all come back down to Texas, we're eating bacon donuts and going to an orchestra. Con. I got it, got it. That just sounds. On the stuff. That, that sounds like a great weekend, actually. Yeah, yeah, it does. When can you be here, David? <laughs> I'm just saying, there's like stuff going on at the Bass Hall. I mean, like we got like some John Williams stuff. We have some like film music going on. Yeah, I mean, there's just, a, there's a music of John Williams coming up pretty soon. Here I'm just saying. Vacation. Very cool. Just saying. Ohio has things too. You keep telling yourself that <laughs> if it helps you sleep at night. It does sometimes. So on a on a semi serious note, um, I don't think I mentioned it um, to either of you or anything. By the way, it's not a done deal or anything. It's not, in fact, it's not even a deal. Um, I got a, um, a an email from one of the members of my dissertation committee. And they're like, yeah, I want to meet with you. I'm like, cool, what do I do? And they, we just were catching up. Like, they were the one that, um, it's the department chair of the university that I teach at. And they were like, hey, you should check out this link. And I'm like, okay. They're like, yeah, you need to know about this, this school. And I'm like, okay. 
and I I type it in and stuff, and I I'm, like the first link. It's like so and so appointed the founding dean, and I'm like, oh shoot! Like I said, oh shoot! Like over and over again. I'm like that's you. And anyways, like they've been hired to go um, be the founding dean at this uh, seminary in Kentucky, and I'm like, wait, you're gonna ask me to come teach in Kentucky, aren't you? And they want me to, and I'm like, I like Texas too much to go live in Kentucky. No offense to any of our Kentucky listeners, but like, look, I'm pretty sure it snows in Kentucky, especially like northern Kentucky, like when you're like about an well, hour I mean, and a half if, from if, the Ohio state line. Yeah, if you're like, if you're like in Louisville, you're like right there next to Ohio. What What, what is it, Eric? What? Louis, Louisville? Louisville, right? Louisville? Louisville? Lu- Louisiana, Louisville, <laughs> Louisville. <laughs> I'm sorry, from the Midwest, I enunciate and I speak clearly with no accent. All right, we're going to Louisville. <laughs> there is a Louisville, Texas, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, speaking about speaking about that, I get this random message earlier this morning. Is there really an Africa, Ohio? Yes. It's yes. Like, technically, yes. It's unincorporated, but yes, there is an Africa, Ohio. Well, David said that. Um, David was like telling me that about about something, and I was like looking on the map, um, and like I'm just like looking like right in this like general vicinity. I'm like, Africa? What? So I, so I send him a message. I'm like, "There's an Africa, Ohio, like for real." Yeah, we we generally bless the rains down there. Mm. Yeah, yeah, dude. Have to can go we do that? that? I want. Yeah, is it? Yeah, we need to go there and do that. <laughs> for real, I man. Go, I need to go to there. I need to go to there. We need to bless the <laughs> rains down in Africa, Ohio. <laughs> so, so we have we we have an itinerary. When when you know David and Eric come back to my neck of the woods, we're gonna get some bacon covered donuts and we're gonna go catch a symphony. But when we go back up north, you know, to you know that part of the Alpha Quadrant or whatever that is, Gamma Quadrant by then, um, then we got to go, you know, bless some reins. Right. We're going right. to take some horse Put, reins and we're going to bless put, them and be like, here you go to the people of Africa. Putting that on my calendar. That's the because 12th of never. There's nothing that 100 men or more could do to keep me away from there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so that's that's the kind of episode we've got. <laughs> we're, we're, we're off to a great start, everyone. Yeah, that's that's the kind of episode that y'all are getting yourself into, apparently. Oh shoot. Okay. Do y'all want to talk about Star Trek? <laughs> Let's do this. Let's do this. All right. Um, all right, everyone. So t- today, uh, for the book that we're going to be talking through, hopefully with some semblance of, I don't know, something, is um, the Star Trek Deep Space Nine book. Revenant by Alex White, and um, he's the acclaimed author of A Big Ship at the Edge of the Universe. Um, so just a just a quick little little ditty. Um, by the way, if you haven't read it, um, this is a pretty 
pretty easy-ish read to to get through. I mean, it's like 300, yeah, 305 pages in length. So, I mean, you could knock this out here in like a day if you wanted to, a couple days, depending on the type of reader you are. Um, just want to read um, just a little bit from the back of the book to kind of like as the teaser, and then we'll kind of talk briefly about like where this is kind of positioned in terms of Star Trek uh, timeline stuff like we have with the other books. So um, the, the teaser for this says that Jadzia Dax has been a friend to Etom Pritt, the Trill Trade Commissioner, over two lifetimes. When Etom visits Deep Space Nine with a request to rein in his wayward granddaughter, Nemi, Dax can hardly say no. It seems like an easy assignment, visit a resort casino while on shore leave, and then bring her old friend Nemi home. But upon arrival, Dax finds Nemi has, Dax finds Nemi has changed over the years in terrifying ways. And the pursuit of the truth will plunge Dax headlong into a century's worth of secrets and lies. Oh my. Oh my. That's ominous. Not at all. So, um, this book, and I know that um, Eric particularly enjoys this um, because of where it's positioned. So, the historian's note that's um, in the beginning of the book, as well as at the beginning of the audiobook, says that this story takes place in 2372 after the Klingon assault is repulsed from Deep Space Nine, the way of the warrior. And just before Major Kieran Norris leaves to search for crash survivors from the Ravenok, so, um, indiscretion. There we go. The episode indiscretion. There are both two. fantastic episodes. Yes, and yeah. way, way of the right. Warrior is the. If anyone is a TNG fan that's never seen Deep Space Nine, there are some out there. Uh, way of the Warrior is a two-part episode where Worf is actually introduced to the series. So, if you're a Worf fan or you're a TNG fan, check it out. Um, I mean, of course, you have O'Brien that's already on Deep Space Nine as well uh, as a main character. Uh, 22 chapters. 22 chapters in this 305-page long book. Um, I think it was... Oh, gosh. How many hours was this? Like 11 or 12? Does that sound right? Uh, I think it was in the realm of like 10 or 11, something in that range. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Probably took probably It probably took me like 7 or 8 hours to read. Mm-hmm. Right, so I think I could read it faster than the audiobook. Well, I I don't keep it. I mean, depending on the book, right? Like right. B- different narrators can like read at different space um, um, speeds and with different inflections. So sometimes it's okay to kind of keep it like right around like the one speed range. Uh, but with the thing that I found with Robert Petkoff with most of his books, I got to crank it up to at least one point five. And uh, most books, I'm doing 1.6, um, just to feel like it's like I, it's my reading speed, basically. Um, maybe sometimes higher. It's weird. I don't, David. I don't know if you've you've done this at all. Um, like if you've put like the Audible app on your um, your computer at all, but like the speeds just seem to be different on like a computer compared to a mobile device. I don't know if you've noticed that at all. Uh, I haven't noticed that, but Robert Petkoff is, he's good, but he's also rather long-winded. He, he does quite a few uh, Star Wars books as well as Star Trek, and his his readings can be quite long. Sure. So sometimes it's unnecessary. I didn't really find it much of a, of a deterrent for this particular book, but there, there are some times when he just needs to speed it up for sure for sure um 
Now, David, you did you do strictly audiobook? Yeah, I mean, that's normally how I get through most of this stuff nowadays. Okay. And Eric, you read just yeah, the book? Yeah, just, just out of the book. Okay, and I did a little bit of both, so look at that. You did the hybrid. Yeah, I did the hybrid, y'all. Like, we're, we're, we're kind of balanced, I guess, so cool. Um, all right, Eric, um, before we get into the content and, like, the discussion of, like, what we liked, what we didn't like, and, like, some story elements and stuff... Um, you had you had said early on when we were kind of like kicking around the idea of doing this book, like typically it's just been David and I, right, doing the book discussions. But what was it about this story in particular that you're like, man, I got to get on that. I got to I got to talk about this. Well, uh, Deep Space Nine is my favorite of the um, Star Trek series. I think that's everyone is aware of that by now. Um, and this was like the first D space nine book in a long time, right? The others, you know, all the books that you guys have been um, doing lately have been TNG or the original series. So because it was D space nine that originally drew it to me and the cover art, right? The characters on the cover are actually the characters in the, that are the main characters in the book. Right. And that's Jad Zia Dax and Kieran Reese And, in my opinion, those are the two best female characters that Star Trek has ever created, right? And not and I and I hate to qualify it with the statement that they're the best female characters because they're just two of the best characters, plain and simple, in all of Star Trek, right? I I love Kira Nari. She's top five favorite character for me, like okay. of all time. Sure. And Jadzia was amazing. I'm still heartbroken that we lost her. What? Right? Hold what? What? <laughs> I know, I know. It's too soon, right? Still too, too soon. soon. Still too soon, still man. Still too soon. Still too raw. But no, I, the idea of like a Jadzia Dax book really appealed to me. And I thought when it when I was reading the original description when it was announced, it was like it said, "Oh, it's gonna be a Jadzia and Kira Nerys like adventure story. Like the two of them were gonna go on an adventure together." Right. And that really excited me. Right, that's not exactly what this book is, right? Mm -hmm. So I think like the the little trailer, the the tease was a little misleading, right? But yeah. I just those two characters in a Deep Space Nine book really is what drew me to it. Yeah, and it's, I, it's better than the Worf book, where it had Worf on the cover and it was completely not Worf. Right, right. I, I think I've I've said it a number of times that with. Um, with Deep Space Nine, the one that really kept me like engaged in the show in the the early days was Jadzia. Like I just I loved her character. I loved like what you know what her, what Terry Farrell had to to offer the as a cast member in that amazing show, which I grew to love, by the way. Um, and, and we talked about this on the um, the Enterprise episode that you know Deep Space Nine is in my top three. But I think it's I think it's very um, cool um i i really like the fact that the thing that um got me the, the the character that got me into deep space nine now has a book um that's that has her as the main focus now don't get me wrong i love kira too i think she's a fantastic character um on the show but but jed z is my girl and i was absolutely gutted absolutely gutted with what happened to her in uh, in season six of deep space nine Ugh. You get too close to Worf, and that's what you get, though. 
<laughs> just saying. Is that what it is? Yep. Just is that, why, is that why Gina Troy had to break it off? Like, hundred percent. She realized <laughs> she's smart. You know, it's like you know, she gets to pretty much leave a string of dead lovers. So I'm just gonna step away. I'm gonna go back to my Mzadi. The first one to touch your soul. Come on, Deanna. Come on, man. <sighs> okay. I feel better. All right. So, Revenant. Let um, let's let's kind of jump in, and we can talk um, for a little while about like maybe the story um, as, as much as we're able to, and then we'll kind of you know bounce around to like the some of the favorite, maybe least favorite aspects of the story, if any. Right. Um. So yeah, we we're picking up on some story beats that from um, from different episodes or a few episodes from uh, Deep Space Nine, and um, some of it has to do like with the past lives of of uh, of Jadzia, right? Um, in in one aspect, and then it's also like the 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 Trill uh, Commission in terms of like who gets a symbiote, who doesn't. And that's kind of like where this is kind of hanging out, apart from like the story episodes themselves. And we're really focusing a good amount on some of the rejects um, of, of the Trill, like the ones that just didn't, you know, cut the mustard in terms of being able to get the symbiont. So um, Eric, why don't, you, why don't you take us away on this, this next part? Well, yeah, um, so, you know, the, the trill there's not enough trill symbiotes to go around right everyone can't have one so you know people who want to have to go through the initiate program right and it's very long it's very hard it's very arduous because they want to make sure they pick only the best and the brightest or the people who are best qualified to do that as we've seen sometimes people can slip through right that was the whole idea of one of the episodes right um, the Dax symbiote got put into a killer, right? Essentially, or a deranged man. That's right. right? Yeah. And this this Trill Symbiosis Commission tried to hide that from people, right? They tried to erase it from the record. That was the episode Equilibrium, season three, episode four. Right. right. Check that one out. <laughs> and then this is something we learned. I I didn't realize this that. Um, the the trill the trill government of the symbiosis commission then has like a program to help the people that don't make it through the initiate program so they're like hey now you didn't make it but that doesn't mean you're not worthwhile and we want to help you like you've been through this tough training so we want to like help you transition back into your life and understand that you're not going to be joined and not everyone can deal with that situation in the best way. And right. there are potentially people <laughs> that might take advantage of those that got rejected. Maybe just a little bit. Just just a skosh. I don't know. None of that mustache <laughs> twirling evil type stuff going on in the least, gang. In the <laughs> least. Am I right? Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> I guess we just we don't we don't we don't talk about that. We we, we leave that alone. Apparently. Um, 
yeah, so we we have um, there because we have like the trill and even different aspects of like the Dax symbiont that are it, it, it's kind of there are times when I think it's a little hard to kind of keep some of the stuff straight in terms of how we talk about it perhaps but um, early on in this particular story um, we're we're um, exposed to Nemi's dad right her grandfather, grandfather I'm sorry her grandfather that is um, like saying hey something's up I need your help and that kind of like kickstarts essentially the rest of of the story for the most part which involves um, a good amount of time um, in a, like a sojourn out to the trail home world and where everything's kind of taking place like that is our main setting we're on deep space nine for like a second and yeah, then we're and then we're out of there yeah so um going down there we're we're learning more and more about nemi and like just the whole organization as a whole and this was something that i I know that we've like kind of touched on it at different points, both in Deep Space Nine and even more recently, kind of with um, with De with uh, Discovery. Um, but I really, I really enjoyed the opportunity to like have a lot of focus on the Trill and like learn more about like Trill society, like the good, the bad, the indifferent type of stuff. And like I don't know what y'all's thoughts were about like maybe that particular part of the story. David, any, any thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I think probably one of the things that I found most interesting here is we, we obviously knew Jedzia was was rejected first for the Dax symbiote, and we learned, you know, uh, Eric episode episode Eric, which episode as to why? Come on, uh, but we learned why she she was rejected, and it wasn't really due to her worthiness as much as you know Curzon fell in love with her. Um, and she learned that through her Gentara. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, the episode's called Facets. See, I, 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 I'm glad you're back, Eric. I'm glad you got that diagnostic <laughs> done, man. I was getting worried about you there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I guess what, what kind of fascinated me uh, with the extra part of this and what Chase alluded to was what happens to those who are rejected? Jedzia effectively gets a job in Etome Pritz shipping company, essentially. So that part of the society that is rejected was more interesting to me than the Trill Society as a whole, because as we get through this, we kind of realize how corrupt the Symbiosis Commission is and then also really how inept it seemed like a lot of the, the government standing and law enforcement was on Trill, or at least to me, it just seemed like really bumbly. Um, so I guess that's interesting to learn, but at the same token, it was like, it was kind of frustrating for me because it's like, you just want to choke them a little bit um, and you can't because they're book characters. Uh, but anyway, no, I, I, I kind of really enjoyed elongating Jedzia's story outside of DS9 and outside of uh, having the Dax symbiote. Yeah, I like I liked the fact, you know, we learned, you know, 
where Jedzia went in the time between when she was originally rejected and when she was able to go back, right? She went to this Edom Prit. And then we learned that, you know, Edom Prit's granddaughter, this Nemi, went wanted to be joined more than anything, right? That was what she wanted. She just wanted to be joined, but she got rejected. But then Jedzia, right, who was the only person to ever successfully like be taken back like wrote a letter right to like basically a letter of recommendation for nemi to go back into the program and so that was why she felt such a strong like need to go and help him here find the this granddaughter when she went missing you know what um i'm sorry if i'm if this is like way out there i don't know if it is or not um eric quick um, episode name. Um, the <laughs> it's from Deep Space Nine. Computer. Like, Computer. What is all, the episode you just name? Saved all this. You're like, we'll just save all of it and we'll get them. We'll just like. <laughs> okay, so um, Deep Space Nine. I'm pretty sure it's an mm-hmm. earlier episode. Um, okay. It's where uh, Cisco is. Um, he's questioning about being the emissary, and then magically, there's a, a dude from. Um, from like the old days who's claiming to be the emissary basically saying you need to take on your um your mm-hmm. the old cast yeah the old cast system basically yep yep mm-hmm. um shoot I, that is called um oh man what's the name of that episode I think I spoke too this soon on the diagnostic. I know. This is great. <laughs> this is great here. A set, a session from season four. Okay. It's part of the emissary trilogy, right? There's like, it's really there's four episodes, but they call it the emissary trilogy for some reason. Really? Yeah, yeah. So there's an episode called Destiny from season three. Sure. There's an episode called A Session from season four, and then there's two episodes in season five. There's one. That's called Rapture. Okay. Right? And the yeah. other one's called Reckon and Reckoning. Okay. So when we were I mean, before we get anywhere else really in the story, like just like the like the the special ones and the, the rejects, right? And just like kind of like the ones that just didn't make the cut, the ones that were rejected from, you know, getting some kind of symbiont symbiot symbiont anyways. They change it, by the way. I'm pretty sure they change it at different points, uh, how it's pronounced. Um, so there, but like that's what it was reminding me of. Like I know that's like a Bajoran thing, but like just like the whole cast system, like as a whole, in terms of like how it was kind of playing out with Trill society in general. Um, even though they weren't really saying like you need to adopt this, but or we need to go back to it necessarily. But that's just kind of like where it was, and kind of like how it kind of. Um, ebbs and flows throughout this particular story. I don't know if anyone else picked up on that or thought that at all, or if I'm alone on that one. It's out I there. can see it. That didn't that didn't come to me as I was reading it, but I can see it. Okay. Who's gonna no. speak first? <laughs> I already spoke. <laughs> no, I I wouldn't have necessarily jumped to that, but I mean they're they're both. Um, similar kind of social commentaries yeah. on uh, on different societies and, and really kind of 
reckoning back to sometimes what we deal with here, which is um, kind of the old saying, it's not necessarily what you know, it's who you know. Agreed. So I, I, we did. We, I think we did get into. You mentioned like seeing how you know the Symbiosis Commission tries to be like we're so upstanding and so good, but you know, no one ever lives up to that mm-hmm. image. Right. Well, and who we who was who was our who was like our our one like commissioner guy? You know, he this was like the second person for that symbiote that was kind of like our kind of a bit of an antagonist he was yeah uh he was uh, i forget his name but yeah he was like the head of the symbiosis commission Mm -hmm. right but you you know the symbiote inside of him was still like young yeah but you know there there was a a little bit not to jump too far ahead but i think it's rather innocuous at this point There, there kind of is a part towards the end where you know jedzia effectively accuses him of more of his standing getting the symbiote the the host getting the symbiote due to his standing more so than his worthiness uh, to carry the symbiote and of course that also kind of gets into to Duran's storyline as as well but um, and also kind of some of the theme of the read some of the rejects but anyway Sure. So anyway, we were down there and what what starts off is what we think is going to be just this like a simple like, hey, I'm, I'm a joint trill. I have access to this stuff. I can just go give it a go and talk to some people and, you know, we'll be off to the races and we'll be back home in time for supper type of thing does not happen at all. Um, we get denied with a capital D like before we essentially even arrive is really what's what's going on like there's like weird stuff like smoke and mirrors cloak and dagger crap that's going on that we're slow that's slowly being unveiled to us about some of this stuff with Nemi the thing that's like that's triggering all this investigation but we also feel like Jadzia in a sense is being punished for like absolutely you know the events of the, the, the television episode that we saw where she like they exposed the fact that they were the symbiosis commission was hiding things right? yeah. and they were like really upset at her for doing that and so they were getting their revenge right this in a sense. yeah this is like some hardcore revenge that's going on and like we really get to see it play out in a very um both satisfying and frustrating way at the same time it's it's a weird kind of dichotomy i think that's that's taking place do you, do you think that um, I don't I don't think it was really outlined in this book, but just you know is is more of a I guess sort of a speculation, but because it wasn't just Jedzia who exposed this, it's also Cisco, a, a mm-hmm. captain with within Starfleet. Do you think Trill has any sort of resentment towards just Starfleet in general for kind of also kind of butting their way in just through the avatar of Cisco and? and so forth because I, I'm only saying that because thinking long term mm-hmm. when we start talking about like discovery as they go into the future mm-hmm. uh, you know and kind of how, how Trill had migrated away from the Federation maybe like just the building blocks kind of of how that happened 
kind of. Yeah, but but was we, there's a the thing we don't know. Was Trill like moving away from the Federation anyway, or is it just the burn that caused it? Right. They yeah. they because they came right back in as soon as, right? Yeah. As soon as Discovery was able to get the dilithium, they were like, "We're back." Well, I mean, that's how Discovery works, Eric. I know. Everything's just magically fixed. Mm-hmm. Dang. Dang. All no, right. I, I just, I just, you know, I, usually a lot of those type of bigger decisions have some sort of, you know, root in like a crack down the line, you know, crack in the armor type of deal or, you know, some, some escalation through it. I, I, I just kind of wondered a little bit about that because obviously there's a ton of resentment towards Jedzia, but they also make the point of naming Cisco in here as well. And again, it's maybe a bit of a stretch, but maybe not so much at least in my mind i mean the with with the cisco thing and the like the fractures that you're you're proposing i mean it's i think it's i don't know i what i want to words are hard right now just as a small just as a small furtherance though as we get through the story we also meet a couple of other starfleet officers who are on trill and they are also, in a lot of ways, denied <clears throat> in some of the investigation portion of this as well. They're not really necessarily welcome in it either, despite the fact that you would think they would have a little bit more right to at least kind of be a part of it because of, again, the events. Yeah, but I think I think the, the, like, the Trill investigator that we meet, I can't remember her name offhand. Um, I don't think she has resentment towards Starfleet per se i think it's just this is my investigation and you know you see all the time like hey don't don't get in the way of my investigation this is right. we're on trill this is not this is trill business this is not federation business right yeah but you are you are probably correct there but again not to jump too far ahead but it also involved a starfleet officer as well well, the thing that I, I think, that, uh, I mean, the thing I was, uh, that I was trying to articulate as well as I could is the fact that, like, yes, you have Jadzia that, that's, you know, yes, she's Starfleet and yes, she's part of this, you know, Trill society, but you have Cisco who's not, who's essentially like saying, do this and like, you know, come back, you know, just do what you got to do type of thing. And speaking to people from time to time, and like, it's one thing I think for Cisco to do it and to kind of just get like the cold sho- shoulder, but I think it's a completely different thing for for uh, for Jadzia and even the other Trill Starfleet officers as well. Um, when you join Starfleet, there's this expectation that you're gonna kind of just be in lockstep to a certain extent, like you're gonna like follow the organization um, based on the contract, right, that that you've signed as as a member planet, right, and I'm not, I don't know, if, like, if this is the point in which, like, where there's like a like a, I don't know, like a weak link in the armor or, or something or in the chain or something like that, but perhaps this could be like the first of many that does eventually lead to what we see 800 years later by the time of the burn. I don't know, it, it, maybe it's kind of a stretch. I don't know, but that's just kind of like the thoughts that are kind of coming to mind. 
when it comes to this sort of thing. Uh, I mean, that's that's entirely possible. But like, it's it is it is kind of weird though that they seem, for obvious reasons, um, much more cold towards Jadzia than they do Cisco though, with Jadzia being one of their own. So, yeah, take that for what you want. Um, someone save me. Where are we at? <laughs> at the beginning. We're at the beginning. I mean, I mean, yeah. So we're going to we're going to find Nemi, right? Yes. That's 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 basically the setup, right? Jadzia feels obligated in a certain sense to to find Nemi, but she also, in a sense, is like egged on by the consciousness of Juran, right? The whole time, right? Yeah. Like this Juran character who's not just been recently just unlocked within her that she didn't know about before is hey like yeah you've got an obligation but I've got something to tell you as well right <laughs> right and she's like stop talking stop just stop it stop it stop I don't want to hear from you stop it well he <laughs> always like, does things you in go the worst way. <laughs> he, well he does Duran does things in the worst possible ways like jump scaring and turning down lights and doing ghost <laughs> stuff he's like yeah Ooh, come on Jatia, talk to me i'm spooky it's like will you quit <laughs> like just talk like a normal person you nutball <laughs> i was a musician i enjoy theatrics it is going to be one of those episodes isn't it <laughs> Okay, so Jadzia, she goes to the Pleasure Planet. Can't right? bite. Or Gilius, or Gilius Two, something like that. Canto bite. Yeah, Canto bite. We already have a Canto bite. That's called Stardust City. <laughs> Canto bite two. Junior. Canto bite Junior. <laughs> 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 Hey, Junior. They're crossing streams. Yeah. <laughs> Don't cross, cross the streams. streams. <laughs> Anyways, we find Nemi pretty easily. And what should be, as the back of the book says, right? It seemed like an easy assignment. Visit a resort casino on shore leave and bring your old friend Nemi home. But upon arrival, Nemi has changed. I, you know, I feel like and she changed. doesn't want to go, and she is giving Jadzia the cold shoulder. Right? She's like, "Go! I don't want anything to do with you." Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna have to jump around on stuff because we're not gonna be able to get through the whole entire book. Um, no, I don't want. I don't want to get through. The yeah, whole let's book. let's let's not do that. But um, as a result of of like following things around and investigating things part of this sinister plot um that's kind of taken place when it comes to nemi and even like the rejects is we have like this um idea of asserting oneself over the rest of the species and trying to um become uh, how they describe it almost godlike if not godlike a little problematic just a little bit well the, yeah. i mean there're really two main ideas here 
you have Duran who attempted to assert his own dominance over the Dax symbiote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And part of his problem is, is that's not how it works when you're joined. So his idea was that the, the symbiote would enhance him, whereas in anyone normal, you are enhancing the symbiote. That's, that's the difference. Then conversely, you have another symbiote, the, um, the Vest, Vest symbiote. Yeah, Vest symbiote. Who is essentially through scientific manipulation, genetic manipulation, attempting to assert dominance over multiple hosts. Which is just weird. One thing that I, I think that it's been covered to an extent uh, with like different Jedzia story points in the TV show. Um, but that, that I really appreciated, um, I think it was towards the end of the book, if I'm not mistaken, where it talks about like where, um, when, when, when a trill, maybe a joined trill maybe feels like they're like out of breath, like what's actually happening is like the symbiont themselves is actually asphyxiated or has asphyxiated. Like they've, they're choking to death. They're, they can't breathe. There is no breathing. So... Um, just like really, really honing in on like the 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 connection that a that a host and the symbiote themselves have with one another, and just like the bass awkwardness of what's of, of what's happening with um, with this story point, um, and what ultimately happens at the very end. Um, yeah. So I, it's it's supposed to be a symbiote, right? It's supposed to be a mutual symb- symbiotic, right? symbiotic a mutual like you're both benefited right you it's not like oh the host is going to benefit from the knowledge of the symbiote but like the symbiote also benefits from the knowledge of the host and they create like something new but here we have this idea of there are certain symbiotes that that want to be in control all the time right and then sometimes you get hosts that want to be in control all the time right and we see that when one particular host wants to be in control she's willing to um or the symbiote is willing to go to very extreme measures yes yes (laughs) and basically take advantage of people and prey on people lots and their, lots of people they're like they're in like a really vulnerable moment i'm gonna prey on these people so i can get what i want this was okay so were y'all getting any kind of like cult vibes at all with, yes. with this yeah there's there's a lot of there's definitely a lot of cult vibes one thing and i guess you know more as a direction towards chase the trill want to be joined, right? Hundred percent. However, I mean, there's a there's a real, in my like a real psychological problem with this. It's almost it's almost less of a want than than beca- it becomes a need. And when you don't get what you want, like some of these people are really broken because of it. I don't know how you run a society like that. 
that you that, that because of a rejection you because of the extremes at which some of these people went down the road with the vest symbiote and having to effectively make a choice well in some cases making a choice in some cases being forced to make make the change so to speak how is that healthy for a society in general how is that healthy for just people to to be so reliant on one thing that effectively due to the scarcity and the symbiosis commission i just can we have i don't know i just don't know how how you how you build on that because it seems like crazy unhealthy to have that that longing that eventually in some cases leads to some sort of like psychosis or or deep depression or effectively ritualistic suicide can we have real talk for a second outside the world of star trek this is this is like the whole ivy league thing this is like the harvards the yales the princetons the stanfords all those right like whatever like the really upper echelon stuff that we see it's not just that but it's also like the like you got to go become um a medical doctor you got to go become a lawyer or whatever and you, but not only that but you have to get into like the best school in the country in the world whatever type of thing and that puts so much crazy amount of pressure on kiddos and like the families that are doing that i mean you can be a good doctor not going to harvard or wherever you know like you don't need that all that extra pressure that's that is being thrust upon you but that's that's exactly what we're doing like to heck with like a social life when you're growing up to heck with going on camping trips or you know band trips or whatever trips or whatever social function just chip away at just doing whatever now if that's you if you're a listener and you've done that more power to you okay good on you that you accomplished whatever you accomplished i'm not dogging you for it but that's a crazy amount of pressure to shoulder and maybe i'm just taking it too far off the reservation but that's what's coming to mind whenever i think of like what trill society did has done probably will continue to do to a certain extent even after this story point i don't know like, like, and I also think in, in, in the, your real world example, we're putting such pressure on young people exactly. who are like not fully developed, like their brains, right. their minds, their personalities, right, is not fully developed. And that can really be harmful. But like when you think about the trill, it's like there are there are trill that do not want to be joined. Right. We we see that. Right. So it's not like every member of trill society wants to be joined. But it is also, I don't think you, I don't know, we don't know this, but like, at what age can you, you know, join the initiate, the initiate program, right? Like, how old was Jadzia when she first went in? Like, how old was this Nemi, right? We see that episode where um, Jadzia basically is like the field guide to somebody who wants to an initiate, right? And he's like much older, right? I mean, not older, but he's in his late twenties or thirties, and he's just now like starting to go into the program. So, well, I think maybe there is some difference there. 
Wasn't there a thing with um, like Esri, like the point of Esri's storyline when we get to season seven of Deep Space Nine was that she wasn't ready. Like she was a trill that wasn't ready for a host at that point, correct? Well, uh, well, for Esri, she was a trill that that did, she did not want to be joined, right? And you know, that was just something that she didn't want. Um, and then in order to save the Dax symbiote, because in Trill society, the symbiotes are more important than than the hosts, right? Which there's something we could get into, right? Because mm-hmm. the symbiotes hold like hold the memory and the history of Trill society. So they're, you know, hosts are willing to give their own lives so the symbiotes can be, right? And I feel like maybe Esri felt like she had an obligation to take the symbiote even though she didn't want it and she had no training for it so even then like if we're if we're doing like a like some kind of like parallel right like Esri was probably in her early 20s i'm gonna guess she was an ensign in starfleet exactly she was early 20s so yeah if she yeah if she graduated from starfleet academy and if we're like equating it to like typical like north american ages that you would finish like a bachelor's program for example generally speaking you're looking at like between 20 and 22 years of age i would i would assume so here we are we have a potentially a 22 year old who didn't want one even to begin with we're talking about esri still didn't want one it's thrust upon her 22 years old not a human but still the brain in a human isn't done growing developing whatever until age 25 so like you're it's still very very uh, malleable in the grand scheme of things in terms of like its growth and its development um and even even after it's done developing or whatever it's still plastic so you can still change your thoughts like you can it's plastic in the sense of like it's it's still pliable you can still actively change stuff from a neurochemical standpoint. Um, but still, like, yeah, like the, the question is, the, the big fat question is, how old are these folks in the grand scheme of things? Like, are we talking like 15 when they're having to start this thing? I mean, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head when Jadzia actually did it. Can you, Eric? No. And and then also think, I mean, it's, it's a much different time, but how old was Gray? Like... Ray looks really young yeah. and maybe that's different circumstances because the burn has killed a lot of the symbionts so who knows for sure for sure I think we've we've talked a lot about about Jadzia do we want to touch on any other story points well I mean I, I think I think kind of one of the more obvious ones is is the continuation of Duran's actual story because I mean we, we get in the show what Duran did but we didn't necessarily get why he did it or what he did before you know prior to losing the symbiote mm-hmm. and um I don't. I, I know in a lot of, in a lot of, just in general, literary 
In the literary world, sometimes we like to make really ambiguous characters, but in the show, Duran was a murderer. 100%. You know, when, when we had the, the, the Jintara, we had Cisco taking on Duran and being put into a holding cell. And he was nuts. He, he, yeah. he was bashing his head against the force field. But in this, there's more manipulation and more subtlety because we, we eventually get the, the other Vest character was Elta, Elta Vest. Elta Vest, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who was also in a relationship prior with Curzon. No, or no. after, no, excuse me. Yeah, after Curzon. After, yeah. sorry, timelines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so who, who was in a relationship with Curzon and kind of used Curzon to further the sort of Vess's design. But with Duran, Vess... Elta Vess seemed like she knew that he was wrong for it, and she was what, like head of something within yeah. the commission mm-hmm. at the time. I think she and was the, the head of the like the transition thing afterwards, wasn't she? Something. Like, yeah, yes. Something. Yeah. But her her manipulation of of Duran after the fact. And then also sort of dropping in this this plot of the you know the this the symbiote effectively taking over the host, essentially killing the host. So we have skinwalkers. You know, we, we've got some got some walking dead kind of. Mm. <laughs> Freaking zombies. But I, I guess I was kind of curious to see what you guys thought about this sort of continuation of, of the, the Duran storyline. Because for me, I thought it was interesting, but it was such, in my opinion, it was such a departure from kind of what we got in the show. Because it's like, wait a minute, am I supposed to feel empathy for the murdery guy? I thought, okay. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so so we when we were introduced to Duran through his brother, right? And his brother's like, my brother had a mean streak. He had a temper, and I, I'll believe it if they say he killed those people. Like, yeah, totally believable. And then, yeah, when he takes over Cisco, he's like a really bad guy. But here we get the sense that like he was manipulated, and his killing, his his the the murders that he committed weren't really murders in a sense. Like he was trying to like free himself from what the Vest character was trying, the manipulation that she was trying to put him through. And she's, and he's like, well, I'm just trying to break free and I'm trying to protect myself. And it, it's very different than, than the Duran character that we saw before. And re- really the only, the only cold blooded moment though, I, which I think was the writer's attempt to make it kind of button hook back a little bit mm-hmm. was that the head doctor who was, effectively doing the procedures at that time Duran went to take revenge on so Mm -hmm. that that was truly like a murder murder so I guess that's but again it was like it was the the scenario the the reasoning behind the manipulation the reasoning behind like uh, and then the the vest symbiotes whole storyline it's like it's so nefarious that even being a murder out of revenge it's still kind of like you could also reason that he was trying to stop the walking dead you know he was trying to stop this whole thing from happening so it it makes things really ambiguous for me and and again like it just seemed in such a contradiction to the to the show 
yeah like reading reading through like the different um bits of of Duran in the book I'm glad you brought this up because like I felt weird at that uh, as well about like the whole wait wait am I am I actually feeling sorry for this dude like am I actually empathizing with him I just felt like dirty <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Try try reading A Clockwork Orange, right? Yeah. Like actually reading, not not just watching the movie, but reading the book. Yeah. And you're like, holy crap! Why am I feeling sympathy for this guy? <laughs> <laughs> but no. But like like this whole time I was reading this book, and I know that they're different, and I don't know if this book, this Revenant, is considered canon or not. I don't know how much of the books get classified as canon, right? And how much of like the pocket books are not right canon like you've been talking about the, the coda books are those are those canon right as shadows of offended is that a canon book right I, I have no idea what the answer to that is but like i've talked about it with you guys before this book the lives of dags right it's one of these pocket you know star trek books it's basically one short story for each of the dax symbiotes and there's a Duran story in here, and he is a bad dude, right? <laughs> like, the story that it tells of Duran in The Lives of Dax and the story that it tells for Duran in this Revenant book, they're not the same story. And so, you know, coming from reading the, you know, The Lives of Dax and reading this, I was just very striking to me because they were so different. And the Duran character here is portrayed as, like, your typical serial killer who, mm. you know, basically stalks his victims and learns their habits before, you know, doing a ritualistic, you know, killing, right? And he only decides to kill the doctor at, like, the last moment. Sure. But it was just, it was just different. Sure. Yeah, um, I, I keep getting, like, mixed signals about like what stuff is canon which is not like the I've, I've gotten into arguments with people like it's it's silly right like it, it's just silly but like the the idea is like the books like the Picard book series like Last Best Hope Dark Veil um hold on uh, Rogue Elements and um, even the one that's going to be coming out in May of 2022 the uh, it's going to be focusing on on Rafi, like the idea is that those are going to be considered canon um, as part of like the deal and like the the revitalization of of Star Trek with you know CBS and Alex Kurtzman and stuff like that. Um, but like the Coda stuff and everything that came, I guess, prior to like Discovery, for the most part, is allegedly not canon, but it is canon weird it's weird how this stuff like just lands I, I just can't stand it well i mean another kind of tag along here to sort of canon versus non-canon so and and eric i have to rely on you here so so jedzia's jintara is before or after these events uh it's it's at the very end of season three and this is at the this takes place at the beginning of season four okay so the only thing I'd say is that at the end of this book, Jedzia confronts Curzon with the same, almost the exact same thing that she did in DS9, in, in, in the show. So to me, it almost felt like, kind of like trying to overwrite a bit. It's, it's like a tape, you know, we've rewound and we've kind of overwritten a little bit of it 
because when, when I when I started going over that, and again, it was like the last half hour of the of the read. It's like, yeah, but we've already went over this in the show. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's 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 the only thing I'd add on is as far as like canon versus non-canon. It, if it's if it's canon, it seems a little bit of an override. If it's not canon, then it's just its own little pocket. Yeah, was that a joke? Like pocket books? <laughs> yes. It's <laughs> uh, great. It's great. Okay, gang. Um. Uh, so apart from, from even some of this stuff, um. Maybe we can talk like a little bit about about some Kira and some Wharf stuff, just for a little bit, and then. Uh, let's start moseying on to like a few other things, like you know maybe like a stand, like a standout moment or two um, that we we liked so or didn't like whatever it might be. Um, so yeah, Worf, Worf, Bashir, Kira, um, they do some stuff in the book too. There's like electricity involved at one point. Um, rubber mats. I mean, it's great. Uh, a batleth comment is spikes 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 yeah fancy electric suits yeah yeah Yeah, man it's like we're in a walking faraday cage essentially (laughs) (laughs) when i was so as i was like that part i was um in my car and i was just like imagining um if you ever i don't know if y'all have ever seen uh monsters inc or not but um the first one not the second okay that's fine yeah but like in the 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 room like the room with all the doors and everything they come down like that's what you go in um like the cleanup crew like that's what i was imagining they were kind of like wearing was like the the monsters inc like cleanup crew type thing (laughs) just like in a complete like ev suit type of thing (laughs) holding stuff you're welcome you're welcome everyone yeah, I, I, th- I think they tried really, really hard with those suits, too, because it wasn't just like a suit, but it so it's a conductor. It's a p- potential weapon. It, it also has like pingy, offy heat sink yeah. things that just go popping yeah. off. And yeah, they absorb. Don't the stand heat, on right? rubber, but it's cool to stand on tile. It's like we, we <laughs> really wanted to think this out, like maybe a little too much. We're trying to use science here, David, right? I mean, we're trying to be as sciencey as possible. Okay, so then scientifically explain to me lightning bolt symbiote Darth Sidious (laughs) sort of power, you know, unlimited Unlimited power. power. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think think you can explain that because when you see the trill in the little goop milk pool, right? They communicate by shooting electricity back and forth, right? Have y'all ever seen the movie The Sorcerer's Apprentice <laughs> with with Nicolas Cage in it? It's Nicolas Cage. <laughs> no, I, like I have not seen it. Yeah, because like that, I know what it is, but they, I they seen have it. like little these Tesla coils that they're using at one point, and they're like making um, um, like music, right? Like with the different Tesla coils and stuff like that. So that's what I think of, like with this whole like electric communication milk pool land thing. <laughs> Sorcerer's Apprentice, everyone. I'm just saying, where are they channeling? Where are they channeling that much electricity through to make like death lightning? Yeah. Well, That's... where's Palpatine doing it? Hey, the Force, Force. don't Force. cross the streams. <laughs> magic. Don't cross yeah. the streams. Based magic. Midi chlorians. 
<laughs> Don't cross the streams. <laughs> it's only for one movie, Eric. Just one movie. <laughs> hey, they mentioned M count in The Mandalorian. <sighs> anyway. Don't cross the streams. <laughs> Don't do no, it. If, if we want to talk about some of the, if we legitimately want to talk about some of these characters that came in here, like I like Worf and Bashir coming in here to help, um, to help yeah. her on this mission. I really thought like it made sense for the two of them to come. Like Julian is in love with Dax, right? He always has been, and he'll do whatever he can to help her. And like I'm there, I'm doing it. You don't like, you can't stop me. Right, and you know, it made sense that he was following her because she had a medical condition, and they needed someone to help with like the biology of it all. The isobarmine yeah. levels being monitored. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then bringing Worf in, obviously, that makes sense. You know, he's Worf. He's former he's, op. He's, he's the former. I bet he's a Klingon warrior, right? <laughs> you know, I yeah, we need we need protection, don't we? We need Worf. But like, and and I really do kind of like the you know it's like for aftershadowing, right? Because we already know that they end up together, but like they're laying like the little seeds of their relationship here, and how like they like to how they're interacting together. Um, so I really I really like those characters, but Kieran Reese, like I love Kieran Reese. Yeah, you do. I really did not like her in this book i felt like her character was so underused in this book I it was agree. just like we're just trying yeah. to shoehorn her in here because we know jadzia and kira have this great friendship back on the station so we're just like we're trying to force her into this story when all she really does is show up to pick a lock and i'm like well that was a waste of this character wasn't it well, the, and the thing is, is like she she was the first person that that Dax called, and I think if you're gonna do that, you just need to utilize her and just use her skills because look, she is a competent fighter. She is, mm -hmm. you know, uh, kind of the counterintelligence sort of thing. She's got that sort of deal, insanely smart, tactical, all that good sort of stuff. And apologies, but one thing that popped back into my mind, I had this brief conversation with Chase about descriptions in this book, which kind of made me feel a little weird. So the first one is we mentioned uh, a description of Brashear. And it was that he he was like a shorter human. And it's like, wait a minute. When has Bashir ever been short? He's like the same height or taller than most people. And then the other one was when Dax first called Kira, they talked about her doing her makeup and putting on lipstick. Like, does that make sense for a former resistance fighter who is like tough as nails? I mean, I'm not saying she can't, but it's like, it, it was such like almost a point of emphasis. It's just like, is, is that, is that the character? I don't think well, so. I, I mean, I mean, she did soften up, right? Soften up as the Air show quotes, went on, yes. right? Whatever. I just thought it was weird. I'm glad I'm not the only one that thought that um, that Kira was really underused, despite the fact that she's on the cover. She got like warped. I said, like I said, originally, like <laughs> this this book was described as Jadzia and Kira go on like an adventure together. Yeah. 
and that's can I, can not I, what it was. Just one quick, just one quick nitpick about the that adventure though, because there was a sort of adventure, but it was like an adventure, and then like we have to go back to our rooms, and then we'll adventure again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Get some like, rest. Just a wee nitpicky, but still. We yeah, gotta go we, back we, and rest. We up. always had to go back to our room in between every event. Okay, we we went we went and we broke into the museum. Now we have to go back to our hotel, sleep, and tomorrow we'll go to the caves. Right? Oh boy. Yeah. Sleepover. You know, there's this murder investigation, but you know we have to go back to our rooms, sleep before we, you know, pick it up later. I mean, like, after after a while, I just, like, forgot that Kira was even in the book, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was just, like, so disproportionate with, like, the rest of the characters um, in the story. Um, it was, like, of the 22 chapters, like, it was, like, you know, like, just a blink, like, see you later, you're gone type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, 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 an, like an afterthought. Yeah, I don't feel like they used her skill set. Like mm-hmm. she basically came in to pick a lock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And to, and to support her friend, and that's that's about it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I, I guess like with this, um, are there like, any like standout moments uh, from this book uh, for y'all? Like whether it's like I really like that. I really hated that, or that was just weird type of thing. Like any of those well, those things. Well, did did any of this feel a little bit like Matrixy, with like all of a sudden all the Agent Smiths are attacking us, and <laughs> like we're running away, and all of a sudden all of these the 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 Vesses are attacking. I was like, hey, this is Neo fighting off all the Agent Smiths. You can't stop us, <laughs> Mister Anderson. <laughs> You know that big scene in the second Matrix yeah. movie where he's fighting them all off. Yep. And that he gets, was like he gets the a pole and spins around. As I was reading this, they just they just kept coming from nowhere, and there were more of them and more of them and more. Of them. Oh man! All right, so Eric saw the Matrix in the book. Fantastic. <laughs> Here we go, Mister Anderson. Okay, fantastic. Mister, Mrs. Dax. <laughs> Mrs. Worf. Too soon, too soon. Too okay. soon. <laughs> yeah, not, not yet. Not yet, obviously. Yeah. There was um, there was something. It was towards the end. And look, if you've already made it this way, we've already spoiled stuff for you, so whatever. Um, I kid you not, like, when... when uh, we get to the part towards the end where there's like the battle where we're going to do some Stabby McStabberson stuff going on. Right. <laughs> and we have like the big baddie that's showing up like ultimate power. I just hear like final fantasy, like boss music that's playing and like with what's about to go down. Look y'all look, like I was just hearing nothing but boss music whenever this was going on, and I just thought it was like so ridiculous, just so ridiculous, uh, with with what I was seeing in like my mind's eye as I was reading this. Um, that being said, there was another moment 
that I absolutely loved. And it was in the closing moments of the book uh, or near the closing moments of the book. And it was when Jadzia was talking to Worf. They were having this conversation about essentially the, the, the discommodation and like accepting dishonor um, to essentially save his family and just like how that kind of played out. And the fact that Jadzia like appreciated it. And not only that, but like the, like just appreciated like the fact that he was around to even help her out and have this conversation. Like that was just, I think one of my absolute favorite moments from this book. And it, it, I'm sad to say that it was at the very end, but I just, I, I love that moment between the two characters. Yeah, and at that point, Worf had, he had gotten his honor back, but then because he didn't side with Galron in the way of the warrior, like, an episode earlier, like, Galron basically told him to F off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so. I mean, that's what happened, right? Yeah. I mean, it might have been changed like Martok that was, like, manipulating Galron into doing something. Yeah. Doing it. Yeah. How about you, David? Any uh, standout moments for you? I mean, not not really. Like the thing is, is it was it was definitely an an interesting like overall thinker book for Trill Society. I guess that's the only thing I I really point out is the the little idiosyncrasies within Trill Society and the Symbiosis Commission. And when we, well, even when we brought out um, uh, one of Jed Zia's, uh, one of the former hosts, the uh, the one who was a part of the Symbiosis Commission. Um, don't Audrey. remember. Audrey. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And um, kind of even some of her interesting I don't want to, I don't even know if I want to call it wisdom, but just sort of some of her help. Uh, because we, we've always got where, you know, Jadzia, uh, what was it in, in the show? It's like, oh yeah, I hold my hands behind my back the same way and, and all that stuff. But I, I guess the only thing that the show didn't necessarily showcase as much is how deep the connection can, can kind of run. And again, canon, non-canon, whatever. But you know, even her speaking with with uh, with Curzon at the very end—that's a very much more personal thing that that she can kind of almost call up at any time, which was also kind of something that I don't I don't want it to be nitpick, but like the the Jan, the, the Jantara was—you get somebody, you get one of the guardians, to like come out and help you do this through this whole big ceremony. But then Dax is effectively just mirror, mirror on the wall, bloody Mary, bloody Mary, you know, and, and just like, oh, they're here, that type of thing. However, I do think that it is really interesting to think that of all these former hosts and personalities and memories, you can almost do an instant recall and talk to them and actually get something out of it. Um, because I, I think there was even a part where I think it was in the Duran story. Yeah, it was in the in the Duran storyline where he was trying to escape, and he called on some of the tactical knowledge of I think it was Tobin. Mm. You know how how to fight, whereas Duran didn't know how to fight, but he was able to call that up. So sure. that kind of connection thing I thought was kind of cool. I don't know how 
how it would really fit into the when we talk about in quotations canon but i thought it was an interesting thing to explore yeah well, i mean i think there's that episode where esri calls up Duran right to solve mm. the murder right where she basically, i forget like, about esri sometimes i don't know why she basically does the like the mirror mirror on the wall Duran, come out and help me yeah. right That's and true. basically he's like you know, manifests himself right next to her as he's as if he was essentially there, and I kind of felt like the book was trying to do that same thing. Sure. Like whenever, whenever they were like calling on the memories. I will say that I did, as weird as that that part of the book was, there at the end. Um, I did like how it was written, like in terms of like the setup of of how. Uh, we we get into like I guess that part of like the Jantara like of sorts, um, like we're, we're staring at a mirror. But I just really liked how the writer really captured the transition from Jedzia to Curzon and then them two together. Essentially, I thought that was cool. So, all right. Anything anything else that we want to discuss before we move into um, an evaluation? No. No. All right, let's go ahead and do this. So since this is a book rating, we're going to do this out of five. So uh, same idea, one being a dumpster fire, five being amazing. Literary masterpiece of sorts. So, um, Eric, why don't you kick us off, man? Um, was this book a literary masterpiece? No. <laughs> was, it a dump was it a dumpster fire? No. Um, it was a very different book than I was expecting it to be. It was not the story that I was expecting it to be. I did not expect it to tie into those two episodes from season three as much as it did. Um, but that being said, I it it kept me entertained. It kept me interested. It like it went. The story went in places I did not expect it to go. It surprised me with the decisions that it made. So that's something going for it, right? That is absolutely. Um, like I said, I think it was a total waste of the Kira, Major Kira, her character. And that disappointed me a lot because I wanted her to be here. But I really did feel like this was the same Jadzia from the show. Sometimes when, you know, there's a book written about a character, it doesn't feel like the same character from the television show. Sure. But to me, I this I felt like the author captured the spirit of Jedzia and Terry Farrell, that the actor who played her. Um, so I did like that, and I enjoyed Jedzia, and this was a it was a good story, right? I think the title Revenant is appropriate, right? Is an appropriate. So I mean, I enjoyed it. I really did. It was it was a a, a good read. Um, I have no idea what I rated the last book the one that we shall not talk about that you guys don't remember, right? I have no idea what I rated that. Um, I have no idea what you've been rating. I don't remember what you've been giving some of the mo more recent books that that you've reviewed. But, I mean, this is like a 375, something like that. I enjoyed it. It, it kept me entertained. Okay. What do you got, David? Uh... Yeah, I think along some similar lines, it, it definitely was, um, it, it kept me entertained, I think is a good phrase. Uh, I think 
I, I think that Jed Z was well done. I think Worf was was good. I think Brashear's essence was certainly there. Kira was not a big part of the story, which you know I'm also disappointed in. Um, but I, I do I do like some of the 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 thinking the thinking that went behind some of this stuff. Some of the themes were were fun to explore and, and even sort of some of the parts of Trill society that are still kind of a problem. Um, but when I, when I start to, you know, pick out like the main plot points, it's, it's fine. It's, it's fine. Um, it's kind of a little bit of a, a horror story in a way as well. Yeah. So, but yeah, it, it's not a dumpster fire. It's it's not a literary masterpiece, but it was. It, it's kind of the equivalent of like a, a a pretty decent popcorn flick. You know, you, you go on you go on a, a weekday to watch a movie to get popcorn, and then oh well, that was actually a pretty darn good movie. I'm glad I came. So, in in that kind of in that kind of realm, I guess, as far as as far as rating, I, I do think it becomes a little average. I did see some of the other ratings, and they were kind of mid to low fours. I, I think is kind of what I scoped around as general ratings for like you know like Goodreads, Amazon, that sort of stuff. Goodreads is usually a little bit more accurate, I feel like. So, I, I would say I'm I'm actually pretty well in line with Eric. I, I might bump it just a wee bit higher just to be, you know, contradictory because I enjoy that. Mm. So, <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm going to give it just a little bit of a bump because it did make me think about a lot of things. So I, I'm going to say like uh, 3.85. I, I feel, I feel pretty good about that. Sure. Okay. The, um, I mean, like I said before, I love Jed Zia, so that's already going to give it a pretty decent rating um, just because anytime we get to uh, learn more about her. I'm I'm all I'm all for it. So, um, I, I don't know if it was just like my headspace or what, but like there were times that I just felt like the story was um, uneven in terms of like how it was like maybe structured or like different story beats. But that being said, um, I did I did enjoy the heck out of this. Um, like David pointed out, like this is, I think, pretty much like a thinking book. Like it really gets your your noggin going, um, which I think is what you really want, or like what you should ideally want with anything you read, especially Star Trek material. Um, I like the use of Worf. I like the use of Bashir. I wish there would have been a little bit more Kira. Like I said, like she's on the front cover, but I forgot about her um, after a while, which is unfortunate. Um, even Cisco, like I liked how Cisco was used very briefly, um, like even with like from a bookend kind of perspective of how he was used. I liked it. Um, I just think Kira got the short end of the stick. Um, whenever I finished the audiobook, so like I said, I do like the hybrid version. Whenever I finished the the hybrid, or whenever I finished the the audiobook of this, I I rated it um, a solid four, just because like on the phone they don't give you like the opportunity to do like nuance with your rating so i didn't i didn't think it deserved a three but it was definitely like a four for the audiobook as far as i was concerned so 
I'm with the guys on this one. Um, it's right in that sweet spot of like a 3.75, 3.85. So just for the heck of it, I'm going to do a 3.8. Um, I mean, we're, we're all in the same same area. So I'm right. I'm right in the. But, but seriously, like this is a. It's a good story. It's it's average. In fact, um, David, you had mentioned just a moment ago in your rating, uh, it's like a popcorn flick. And I think the last story that we did, where I think we had like the same idea of like a popcorn flick, was Rogue Elements, the the Chris Rios book, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And that was just fun. That was just a fun story from start to finish. Uh, when like with some gratuitous like legacy characters from next gen being thrown in for good measure but I mean, that was that was just a fun book that was just a fun book just to read like you could grab that book and go you know sit out on your back patio and read it or take it on a camping trip or you know sit by the pool and read it and, and it'd be fine I think I think that's this is the same area so if you need like just a fun book just a like a, a weekend excursion kind of book, this is probably a, a good book for you. Um, I don't know if the guys want to add anything else in terms of like ideas behind that or not. No, that, that, no. I think we've all got it out there. Yeah. Okay. So um, anyways, um, I hope everyone enjoyed um, not only this episode, but if you've read the book, I hope you did sincerely enjoy the book. Um, and I'd like to thank the guys for um, coming on and, and having a good old fashioned book discussion. Um, we're kind of up in the air about which book we're going to cover for next month. I've kind of been joking around about doing um, Imzadi 2. And um, I know that when we get to March, we're going to be doing a lot of stuff with um, like Janeway, for example. Like we'll be doing like the autobiography of uh, Catherine Janeway. Uh, we'll be doing a, like a definitive Janeway when it comes to March. So, um, but February, we're still trying to nail down our our book for that so if you have suggestions let us know but we're gonna have to decide here pretty quick <laughs> what we're gonna be doing so um everyone thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this let us know what you thought uh make sure that you connect with us on all the things facebook instagram and twitter all at trtv pod um you can also check us out on our website trtvpod.com uh, if you do want to uh, connect with us you want to send us an email let us know stuff show ideas complaints things are doing great Maybe we're not doing so great. Uh, make sure you open up hailing frequencies, trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also also send us a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. So uh, <laughs> if you want to mail us something, like a book, make sure it gets to the Lone Star Station, P.O. Box 2455, Azel, Texas, 76098. Everyone, thank you so much for listening and joining us today. And as always, remember to boldly go and make it so.